0: Radio Conversations with Daniel Noor. Tackling the tough questions on cradio.org.au Conversations with Daniel Noor is an edgy, topical podcast featuring an expert on a hot topic in society. Speaking to myself, I'm the Daniel Noor element. Every couple of weeks, you can tune in and get up to speed. Don't fake it. Know what Catholicism says about the stuff that matters. You're listening to Conversations with Daniel Noor. Today's topic is the death sentence, and uh, you can understand why. In Australia at the moment, two death row inmates are being charged with drug smuggling in Bali. Their names are Myan Sukumaran and Andrew Chan, and they're set to die this month. The men have committed a serious crime and are staring down the battle, or rather the barrel, of the harshest penalty of the law just what are the ethical implications of capital punishment and how do we work beyond subjective opinions about what seems cruel and what seems fair Australia in common with most Western countries has abolished capital punishment yet debate on the topic has not abated table 1 or rather and this is some information that only I can see from the Australian Institute of Criminology demonstrates a kind of diminishing use of the death penalty and the dates of abolition in each jurisdiction since 1820. And listeners, I'll be sure to send you that information if you keep an eye on the Conversations with Daniel Noor Facebook page. The last person to be executed in Australia was Ronald Ryan. Ryan was hanged by the neck until he was dead at Pentridge Prison, Victoria, in 1967. The Australian Institute of Criminology in 1987 report that I'm reading... Continues on, now the sentence of life imprisonment, in some states called penal servitude for life, or strict security life imprisonment, or even for the term of his natural life is another way it's put, has become the most severe sanction authorised by Australian law. Now, although Australia has abandoned capital punishment, it does not follow that it could never be reintroduced, nor does it mean that it cannot be imposed on Australians travelling overseas as illustrated by the double execution of Barlow and Chambers, two men hung in Malaysia on the 7th of July in 1986, and of course the upcoming and impending death penalties of the uh, the Bali Nine ringleaders, as they're so-called. Whenever a particularly vicious crime is committed, members of the public, police, politicians and the press reopen, quote-unquote, reopen the debate. Especially uh, heinous sexual crimes seem to really... Kind of spark the fury of people and a desire to see this punishment reintroduced. It is the case acts of wanton terrorism and the killing of police or prison officers also seem to do it. A number of reasons are offered for this kind of punishment. They include retribution or justice, deterrence, rehabilitation, prevention of reoffending, closure and vindication, an incentive for helping the police, and uh, and many more indeed. I'm talking to Jason Saballo today. Uh, Jason is a Catholic convert and a philosopher, and uh, he has a particular interest in, in this topic. Jason, thank you for joining me. Thank you. How, how are you today, Daniel? I'm, I'm well. It's, it's a bleak topic, um, and I think the, the nation is kind of distressed by the prospect of two of our own um, being so uh, cruelly uh, made to be put to an end. Jason, what has this kind of maybe reignited for you or brought up when you look at the news?
1: Well, it's, it's interesting
0: in terms of looking at
1: what does the, pe- you know, the population think of, of this, because I don't know if you saw, um, there was the poll that was commissioned by Triple J, which asked the question, you know, if, to, if an Australian is caught smuggling drugs in a country, which has the death penalty should the sentence be carried out? And a majority said yes. Now, it's important to note that there are a couple of problems with that poll. The methodology by which it was conducted is, I think, suspect. And mm. it's also important to note that um, that was not Bali, Bali 9 specific. It didn't mention Chan or Sagamaran or any of the specifics of the case. But so. Obviously, it's a controversial topic. This is an issue that's been getting a lot of news play recently. But yeah, I I found that poll very interesting, and I although from what I can tell, any poll that's been done which actually mentions the specific individuals does come back with a fairly strong no, they should not be executed.
0: Yes, yeah, so perhaps when they're nameless or generic, it seems yeah. somehow you know it's just like we you know we don't want to know where our our meat comes from, maybe in the same way it's, it's easier to kind of execute these mass uh, statements of, of policy when we don't know the people. But as far as the, the Catholic perspective goes, capital punishment has been a penalty of, you know, the biblical tradition with stonings, a common injunction for adultery, even in Christ's state. Just what is the position of the Catholic Church on this biblical heritage? Well, it's... An interesting
1: and somewhat nuanced thing, and it's, it's important to note that from the point of view of the Catholic Church, moral principles don't change, but the circumstances in which we play out those principles sometimes do. So the Church acknowledges in the Catechism that, in principle, a state has the right to put a person to death for a sufficiently heinous offence. Now, I think, stepping back a little bit from capital punishment, you've got to view this in the wider era. era. Um, St. Paul, in his Epistle to the Romans, describes the, the, those in authority, monarchs and others in governing authority, as those who wield the sword in God's name. And he very specifically refers to the state as ministers of God's, God's punishment. So the Catholic Church doesn't really take a sort of social contract view of government. We take a view that the state is there as the agent of God, and we recognise that for a sufficiently heinous crime, the state does indeed have the right to put a person to death. Now, having said all that, in practice, the Catholic Church is, is a post-capital punishment. Why is this the case and and isn't that a contradiction well I think the simple fact is that we now recognize that firstly uh, criminology and you know prisons have evolved a lot over the past two thousand years mm. we don't you know we don't need capital punishment in the way that we once did uh, it. In the past, it would be there as something that was needed. Now, it's really not necessary anymore. And secondly, we've just, I think, become more aware of, for instance, the possibility of an innocent person being executed. Uh, I I don't have the stats in front of me, but if you look at the US, there's a quite disturbing number of people who are executed every year who later some new piece of evidence will come up showing that they're not They're not
0: guilty. It's true. Actually, on an episode of Q&A this week on the ABC, Alan Jones uh, mentioned that, you know, had Australian popular opinion been the deciding factor or even the, you know, the judicial opinion, Lindy Chamberlain, for example, would would most likely be dead if capital punishment was on offer, you know. Yeah, and, of course, she was later acquitted of the crime. So, you know, there is that. But, Jason, you you say that there is no longer a need or or, or perhaps, you know, that uh, the possibility of getting it wrong has come up. Mm-hmm. Isn't isn't it also the case that uh, these feelings, the feelings of that was a particularly cruel and heinous crime or, you know, on the other hand, you know, I, I don't think that, uh, this person is worthy of death. Aren't they very subjective ways of looking at things? And, of course, we've also found it to be subjective even among different judges. Between different judges' opinions can vary widely. So what are some of the principles, uh, and I, I know that you have an interest in philosophy and an understanding of some of those principles, that help decide on the uh, validity of a death sentence uh, well, as far yeah. as a Catholic perspective goes?
1: Well, firstly, there's what a moral theologian would call the moral gravity of the act. So you know, certain acts are objectively more grave than others. So killing someone is, is obviously more objectively grave than theft. And the theft of a large amount of money is a graver act than the theft of a small amount of money. So that's obviously a, a significant starting point. But you also look at things like the amount of damage that it's done to the community because, bear in mind, the state has the responsibility of, of being concerned with the common good. So we, we look at things like the moral gravity of the act, the damage done... Um, but also at possibilities for rehabilitation, which has been a big thing with Chan and Sukumara. Mm. Uh, looking at the possibility of rehabilitation, that's another thing that should be taken into account.
0: And is that is that suggested by the catechism or is there some body or text that you're referring to there? Uh, well, the catechism is
1: a starting point and it, it makes the point that the state has the right you know, to use this punishment for sufficiently serious, serious crimes, but there's also this fairly broad tradition of Catholic moral theology and philosophy that has considered this fact. Uh, Thomas Aquinas, in for example, is, is just one example of a person who did actually give a significant amount of thought to to different offences, weighing how we weigh them, and also wrote quite a bit about the different ways in which the state ought to act as the
0: protector and guarantor of the common good. Mm. Mm. The state as the protector of the common good. Yeah, The church, the church has, uh, I feel that the church has not always been seeing eye to eye or has always seen eye to eye with the state. So when is it the church's jurisdiction and when is it up to the state? I mean, Christ was, of course, executed unjustly by the state. Yeah. We... Uh, we don't say that that was a fair trial that he got. So then is it well, the church's job to interfere? Well, it's the church's job to lay down moral
1: principles and where the state fails to, you know, is clearly in contravention of those moral principles, it's certainly the church's job to speak up. We have, we talk a reasonable amount about, you know, the prophetic role of the church. Mm. Now... The catechism lays down, you know, there has to be a fair trial. The the guilt of the defendant has to be established beyond reasonable doubt. Um, when the state fails to live up to these principles, it is quite proper just as individuals need to be told from time to time by the church, hey, what you're doing is wrong. So the state needs to be told from time to time, hey, this is not in accordance with sound moral principles. You are exceeding the proper authority of the state. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and The church
0: would be remiss in its role if it didn't speak out on points like this. So I want to get into... Obviously, we can't be too specific about the the drug smuggling case, but we can ask, you know, in what cases then is capital punishment an appropriate penalty?
1: Well, the church says that in light of modern advances in criminology and in light of the danger of the wrong person being executed, that in modern circumstances the a situation where capital punishment will be the best way to deal with a crime will be very rare, hardly ever.
0: Mm-hmm. Now,
1: I can envisage certain situations where, for example, during wartime, uh, if you have a situation where certain offences just can't be dealt with by a regular judicial process and you know locking people up because, for example... You know, there's a war going on. Under those circumstances, I can imagine it being being reasonable. But in practice, the Church's policy has generally been for the last, you know, at least the last 50 years to take it in practice very rarely, if ever.
0: Mm. Has the Vatican ever executed people? I yes. mean, needless to say the Catholic Church has. But, yeah, so when, when was the last execution?
1: Well, when you say the Vatican, I mean, Vatican City, in the sense of the the state that came into existence in the 20th century, has never executed anyone. Mm -hmm. But you've got to bear bear in mind, up until the uh, late 19th century, The Papal States were actually quite a decent-sized body. It had not only the city of Rome but a considerable amount of the surrounding area. And, yes, the Papal States carried out executions
0: Mm, mm. um,
1: and continued to do so right up until they lost control of that territory.
0: So you're saying, Jason, that there's no longer a need for this kind of penalty because uh, imprisonment, life imprisonment, is now more effective perhaps than it. It, ha- it once yeah. was. Uh, and I mean, y- you know, I- I'm sure people are sick and
1: tired of having the United States pointed to as an example, but look at the United States. It's it's the one, you know, developed Western democracy that still has the death penalty.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, if the death penalty worked as any kind of deterrent or as a way to stop crime, you'd imagine they had the lowest crime rates or at least the lowest serious crime rates of any country in the world. Objectively, they don't. And, in fact, because it's worth remembering the US is a federal system, state-by-state policies, not every state has the death penalty, If even if you look at the US generally speaking, those states which have the death penalty tend to be more violent, to have more violent crime, than those that don't. So I, I don't think there's any evidence to suggest that the death penalty actually keeps anyone safer. And obviously, at the end of the day, the Catholic Church is here to preach mercy. And
0: when in doubt, we should err on the side of mercy. When in doubt, err on the side of of mercy. And can I ask then what is the purpose of imprisonment as far as the church is concerned?
1: Well, that's that's an interesting thing. It has a sociological role in the sense that it deters crime and protects the innocent and also, you know, by locking people up while they're in prison, they can't hurt anyone else. So it has that that role. But it's also important to remember that from the church's point of view, it has a role in terms of for the good of the person that the person being punished, if he is in fact willing to accept that he is being punished justly, it can have a moral reforming aspect on that person. And it's worth noting, in the US they still occasionally refer to their jails as penitentiaries, mm. now, the, it's a, which means literally a place where someone goes to do penance. So from the Catholic perspective, a just punishment imposed on a person and accepted by him as a just person punishment can be an act of penance on his behalf and may, for instance, end up cutting down on the purgatory time that they need to do for, you know, doing that they'd otherwise need to. Yes. yes, yes, of
0: course. Yeah. So, there is a so actually, there.
1: yeah, so the just temporal punishment in this life actually forms a theological, and if it's accepted in the right spirit, a salvific role. And, and, in, this, and in this case, Sukumaran so and Chan, if, if, if everything about, you know, the role they've been playing inside the prison is to be believed, have, you know, been a really good example of that.
0: Mm, yes, they've really reformed, it would seem. So why should the Church have sought more nuance, I ask you, in its position on this death penalty? And I'm, we will have to uh, close on this, Jason, so just a brief word, please. But Well, the church has to be nuanced because on the one hand, it's a part of revelation
1: that, that the state does have this power. But on the other hand, that eternal desire of the church to be more merciful, the church has rightly sought to limit the use of that power as much as possible, and that is why the church is driven to be nuanced, to, you know, to speak with such nuance on the circumstance.
0: Mm on the question so okay so so it's that desire to maybe be relevant to society at the moment and that well more than just relevance but to be honest the
1: church has been given this revelation it can't you know change the revelation that it's been given but at the same time it has a duty as i say to continuously preach mercy
0: yes jason i thank you so much for your time it's certainly um a fraught issue circumstances are everything here but um i'd like to think that you know there are some principles that kind of cut beyond uh, subjective opinion or you know a, a certain a certain country's perspective you know perhaps a, a principle of justice a principle of mercy so we thank you for your time jason and thank you listeners for tuning into this episode of conversations uh, we look forward to having you with us next time thanks again jason thank you You've been listening to an episode of Conversations with Daniel Noor. And for more episodes of Conversations, and for more talks, interviews and shows, visit crad.io.org.au.